Well, guys, you just watched another uh, highlight reel of Catalyst, and that's actually from the Catalyst that Chris and I attended. And I'm really excited that you're here with us as we close up this mini-series called Catalyst. If you guys weren't here with us last week, I just want to give a little recap. Last week we talked about that one thing um, that we really all need to work for, to strive to, to change internally on the inside of us, so that a spark might be set for us to be change makers for God. And that thing was identifying in ourselves that we're all sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. We talked about the fact that a shepherd always goes before us. And so that sermon was meant to enable It was a very enabling sermon and one that was supposed to spark a fire in your heart to go and do and know that you can with the assurance that you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus who already took care of all the hard stuff for you. You're just simply seeking after him. Tonight, I want to look at what we need to do as a ministry, as a whole. Last week was the enabling and this week I want it to be the equipping. This week, I want you guys to be able to walk out of this building and be able to unashamedly say, this is what Burlington Baptist Church is. This is what Thrive is. This is what God is doing in my heart and my life. And so tonight we're going to go through these fundamental rocks, these fundamental truths of what Thrive is. Um, Clarification, some people think Thrive is for teenagers. Some people think that Thrive is for older people. Thrive is a place for people to come who want to go to church, plain and simple. Um, But these are the the fundamental values that we have. And before we get started and, and we dive through some of these, would you just pray with me? Dear God, just thank you for tonight. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to be with these people, um, these specific people, God. They're just such a blessing to be here. And Lord, I just pray that as we go into this message, that we hear your voice, uh, that we, we know you and we know that you are good and that you're a God of love and grace and mercy. And so tonight, would you just get rid of all the distractions and all the weight that we have on our shoulders, all the things that we brought in, whatever that might be the problems that we might have, be having, the chaos in our world. And just for the next 30 minutes, God, would you just let our focus be on you and what you have for us tonight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight, the first fundamental rock that I want to talk about for Thrive is that we all have the ability to know God. Now, but this fundamental truth, this rock, know God, um, it doesn't mean that you can know of God doesn't mean you can know about God, but we believe here at Thrive that you can know God in a personal, intimate, relational way. Um, You know, so many times I feel like people think that knowing God is like studying a dictionary or uh, a textbook. You know, you can know about Abraham Lincoln and you can know about George Washington, but you guys can't have dialogue with those people because they're dead. But we serve a living, risen Savior and we can know him on a personal level. God gave us things like uh, prayer, Prayer is awesome because it's our way of communicating with the Father. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed, Jesus said, guys, you have the opportunity now to talk to our Father whenever you want. Whenever you want. In Bible times, uh, they would have to go into this temple and into the Holy of Holies and only the most holy person could pray to God, but we don't have that anymore. Jesus paid the price so we could have communication. We could have dialogue with Jesus. Another way that we can know God on an intimate, personal, relational level It says in the Gospels that in the beginning was the Word of God, and God was with the Word, and God was the Word. What that means, guys, is the God of the universe, the God that created you and me, the God that makes everything happen, that breathes life into this world and universe, that same power of that Father is in the book, the Bible. 
in any of you guys' iPhones or Androids who has access to the internet. You have access to that power to know God because his truths and who he is is the word of God. Take access of that. So if we believe that this is a fundamental truth, we need to take the opportunity to truly know him. If we know that we can, we should pursue everything to know him. The second fundamental truth in Rock of Thrive is this, that everything in that Bible is 100% true. You see more and more today in our culture and society, churches and Christians who like to bend the rules, uh, who like to look at the Bible and say, well, that part doesn't really pertain to my life, so I'm going to just avoid it, not look at it. Um, or, or they look at it, and in their own mind, they justify it, and they twist it, and they put their own spin and perspective on it. And that's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to the fact that the Bible is 100% true, that it's God-breathed. God doesn't make mistakes. The Bible is not this gray book. It's black and it's white. It's sin and it's righteousness. It's a holy pursuit in the life of the world and the flesh. You know, a lot of people have this idea. It's like this trail mix mentality about the Bible. And let me explain. I'm about to tell a story about my mom, and I'm not knocking her for... Um, Christianity, I'm knocking her for just being weird. Uh, my mom has this really weird thing. How many of you guys in the room have a favorite color M&M? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Pop up your hand. Okay, you people are weird, and I'm judging you right now. That's so weird. They're all the exact same. Every M&M tastes like chocolate, but my mom swears that the red M&M tastes different, so she will not eat them. <laughs> there you go. You can tell I'm not lying. Not lying. Um, So she'll pour out a big bag and she'll separate all the red M&Ms and throw them away. She'll discredit them like they're not chocolate. And how many times do we do that with the Bible? We believe for whatever reason that certain aspects and parts and scriptures in the Bible don't pertain to us. They're not appealing to us or appetizing to us. And so we discredit them for being chocolate, for being truth. When we know, in fact, that the entire Bible is 100% true, we take these little scriptures and we just throw them away like they're nothing. Guys, we can't have that mentality. We have to believe that that Bible is 100% true. The next fundamental rock is something that you probably have never heard in a Baptist church. But we believe here at Thrive that you should enjoy church. Church isn't just this place for schmucks to come and sit and just be filled with uh, holy talk. But church is a place that you should have some fun. When we're worshiping, you should be raising your hands and celebrating. I mean, you would do it at a football game. How many of you guys, when you're watching that Bengals game, are jumping up and down in the air and wanting to punch things and fist bumping? And I mean, you know what I'm saying? We do that for sports teams. And that's exciting to us. But something that's as dramatic, as life-changing as the gospel and as Jesus Christ, we have a hard time getting excited about. And I think part of that is we feel so restricted by tradition and by these pews and by this dated church that we feel like, oh, I really want to, re- okay, I can't do that in church. It's not a place for it in church. Well, it is. Church is a place for you to be excited because we're talking about exciting things. Like Chris said, the gospel is the good news. It's not the boring news. It's the good news. And so many times I come in here on Sunday morning and I look out and people just look dead. And sometimes even on Sunday night, I mean, which is weird because you guys are awesome, passionate young people. Yes, that was butt kissing a little bit, but, but you guys should be excited to be here. And so many times it's like this chore. It's like this thing that we feel like we should just do just because. We should go to church just because. Because it makes us feel better. But let me tell you, just being a warm body sitting in that pew doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Let that sink in for a second. 
See, it doesn't make you a Christian just for coming to church. And what God has asked for us is for us to rejoice in the Lord. It says it all throughout Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's what we're doing here, guys. We're meeting God in this place. And we're saying, you know what? I've got crap in my life. But you welcome me here to your table, to your church. You're here with us. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, there the Lord is also. That's something to be excited about. Right now in this room, Jesus, God, is sitting with us. That's awesome. You know, so many times I feel so broken and so unworthy, so guilty, and, and Jesus still finds it, finds me valuable enough to be here in this room right now with us. That's something to enjoy. That's something to get excited about. The next fundamental rock that I want to talk about is this, that God has an ideal. Now what I mean by that is there's ideals all throughout the scripture. God has an ideal for marriage, uh, starting in Genesis, where he talks about how he created man, and then from the rib he created a woman because he was lonely. And you go through scripture and you see all these Bible stories. You, you see how the marriage is supposed to be a three-chord strand, not easily broken, centered on God. He has an ideal for what he wants for a marriage. And you see things like um, God saying in his scripture, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. You see, he's saying in scripture there that he has an ideal for what we let in here, but so often we just open ourselves up to be hurt. So often we let people bully us and, and we allow things into our heart to weigh our souls down, to feel unworthy and disqualified. We forget that God has an ideal. We do the same thing with our thoughts. You know, we're supposed to be renewing our thoughts, protecting the things that we let in. But I'm really bad at this. I listen to really, really bad music. I love rap music. Believe it or not, yes, I know I'm white, but I do. I love rap music, and uh, I just like the beat. And I always justify it by saying, oh, I'm not listening to the words. But then when I'm in traffic and I almost hit a car and a word slips out, I realize I'm not just listening to the beat. I'm listening to the words. And it's, it's getting wired into my brain instead of good things, holy things. See, we got to guard our minds, our hearts, our souls, our spirit. We have to remember that God has an ideal. He has something that he wants us to seek in every aspect and area of our life. The next fundamental rock is one that Kenny Clore used to always say. He had an expression, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Uh, this one is hard for us, though, sometimes. And it's hard because sometimes people aren't good. Sometimes circumstances aren't good. And, and the fact of the matter is, your friends will fail you, your family will fail you, your job will fail you, money will fail you, but God will never fail you. God will never, ever fail you. And this is so vital for us to hold on to as a fundamental truth, because without it, we have no hope. See, when I read this, God is good, when I remember that, that's where my joy comes from. That's what joy is. You know that joy is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is dependent on circumstance. Happiness is dependent on things that are happening to you, but joy is a promise of hope, and that hope is that God is good. You know, we read in Romans that God will work all things together for the good of those who love them, and so often I think we get this confused. I know I do. I think, you know, if I serve God and I do the right things and I love him with my whole heart, that God's going to reward that. 
that someday I'm going to win a million dollars randomly or, you know, I'm going to have the best family or an easy life and he's going to protect me from certain things. And that's not what he's talking about in the scripture. What he's talking about is God works all things together for the good and that good is God himself. Now, no matter what your circumstance or, or situation that you might be in, for whatever reason that you're in it, God's going to work that situation so that you are drawn closer to him and his goodness. You're reminded of his goodness because that is what gives strength and hope and peace and contentment and everything else that helps us live abundant lives as Christians. We've got to believe this, that God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. The next fundamental rock for Thrive and for us is this, that trust strengthens our faith. You know, this one is interesting because it takes faith to trust. Did you know that? So we, we have a little bit of faith in God, and we trust him about this much, and we take that first little step. And God proves that he's going to honor our hearts and our faith, and so he answers whatever we step into. And so because of that, now we trust him a little more, and that little step turns into a hop. And so he does this time and time again to where we're leaping in faith. You see, we have to put a little bit of trust in Jesus first, though. We have to have a little bit of faith in Jesus first to start this relationship. So my challenge to you is to believe that trust strengthens faith. And in doing that, to trust Jesus with your whole heart that he will be faithful. Because God is good. The next fundamental rock that we have for Thrive, and for me personally, is this. Your beliefs matter. I was talking to a buddy from Bible college the other day. Um, doesn't live around here or anything like that. And we were having a conversation, you know, like all nerdy um, Bible school kids, and arguing over some really random, pointless, doctrinal issue. Um, yeah. And um, so I asked him, you know, why, what do you believe about so-and-so? And he said, you know what, man, I don't really know. And I want to sidebar for a second. The answer, I don't know, to a question like that is always better than some random crap that you just say because you feel like you need an answer. Uh, in the Old Testament, actually, it talks about that. It says that Samuel never let a word fall to the ground. And uh, what that means is, anytime Samuel spoke, it always had a, a purpose, and it always meant something to someone. And so I think we all can learn something from that to make our words matter. Um, but the purpose of this is, so I said, you know, I can accept that. That's fine. You don't, you don't know that, that question necessarily. And so I asked him a different one. And he gave me an answer. He said, well, I believe this and this. I said, okay, I disagree with you, because um, that's another thing we love to do in church, disagree. And, uh, <laughs> and so I said, well, why do you believe that? Why do you believe those things? And he said, well, I don't really know. You see, that's where I have a problem with that answer, I don't really know. Because he had already answered that he believed something. And the problem with that is your beliefs matter because your beliefs determine your behavior. Later through the conversation, I realized that he believed that because it was his parents' beliefs. It's what his parents taught him. And so often, I think we adopt the things that we're surrounded by. Our parents' belief in church or certain ideals, morals, values, things like that. But the problem with that is sometimes we don't have good parents. <laughs> I have great parents. I'm not saying that. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're surrounded by broken, hurting people who are filling us with lies and things that aren't true. And what happens is when we try to live our lives by these standards, by these beliefs, our behavior reflects that. And it's not a behavior of God, it's a behavior of man. And so we can't possibly be effective as Christians, as people trying to reach other people who are broken and hurting, if we're listening to other people. See, we have to be listening to something higher, something wiser, something smarter. If we're just listening to each other, it's just a bunch of idiots trying to figure out where to go. 
Like last week we talked about, we need to look to the shepherd. We need to let him speak truth into our life. You need to know why you believe what you believe. Tonight's kind of part of that, learning why we believe the things that we believe. Um, I'll passionately argue with anyone in this room about anything. My parents can attest to that. I like to argue. Um, But I might be wrong, but I know what I believe. I, I encourage you to truly know what you believe and why. The next fundamental rock and the last fundamental truth is this, is that you can be saved in a moment. You can be saved in a moment. This idea of salvation, the word salvation, it's broken down typically into two separate parts, and this is speaking to the first part, justification. All throughout scripture, it talks about this justification It talks about Jesus and the cross and how his blood is the only way that we could ever spend eternity with the Father. And that when we accept that truth, when we accept Jesus into our lives, right then and there, that blood covers every sin. Not just the sin that you've already committed, uh, not just the sin in that day or in that moment, but the sin that you committed in the past, that you're committing right now, that you'll commit in the future. Every single sin, he died for it. We stand justified because God Send his son to die on a cross for you and for me. And in a moment, we can receive that grace. Guys, that's something that's amazing to me. That's so amazing to me. And some people argue, you know, I can't become a Christian because and I need to get my life right first. Or uh, God could never use a person like me. And that's so not true. That's so not true. Being saved and being a Christian doesn't mean that you have all the answers. I know I certainly don't. It doesn't mean that you're instantly going to get everything right about life because you won't. You're going to still fall on your face sometimes. But what it means is you're committing to a God who loves you and who's going to pick you up when you fall, who shows you grace in a moment and every single time after that. Every single time you fall into sin and you go to God and he says, you know what, I died for that. I died for that. It says in Acts, Acts 3.19, It says this, therefore, repent, turn back from your ways so that your sin might be blotted out. And I love that image. In a moment of just saying, you know what, God, I need you. I messed up. That's what repentance is, just admitting that you need God. In that moment, your sin is blotted out. It's blotted clean. See, the problem with this, with this tower, is that sometimes just because something's true, when you go to to preach this and you're all excited and you say, you know what, I know what I believe, I know what I know, I've got these fundamental rocks, I'm going to tell you about Thrive. I'm going to take the church to you. And you start saying these things, just because it's true doesn't mean somebody's going to believe it. Let me give you an example. Um, So this guy named Alan is raised in a Christian home. And uh, practices, you know, he's going to Bible college, and he marries his high school sweetheart right out of college. Uh, They're in love. It's a wonderful marriage. But then they run into some money issues. And um, his wife decides that she's not going to stay. So she decides that she's going to leave him. And so this guy named Alan, who has believed his entire life that, that God has an ideal, suddenly feels so discredited and so unworthy to become a Christian or be a part of a church that he walks away, that he completely walks away. Or how about the story of, of Alicia, the young girl who goes to Sunday school, and when she's in Sunday school, she's really excited because she doesn't know about the lesson, and she has a question, so she raises her hand, and she begins to ask her Sunday school teacher, 
you know, why does God do this? And instead of answering her, she just says, church isn't a place for questions. Church isn't a place for that. Just listen to the story. It's true. And so time and time again, the Sunday school teacher makes her feel stupid for asking questions about God, for not understanding. And so eventually, when she becomes old enough to drive, she stops going to church with her family. And she never goes back because she's tired of being made to feel so small. So small. You see, guys, I can go on and on and on and on with these stories. But sometimes these foundational truths fall down when life says otherwise. So we need to learn that, yes, you can be saved in a moment, justified. But we also need to realize that it's a lifetime pursuit. It's a lifetime pursuit when you accept Jesus Christ. That part is called sanctification. You see, after you accept Christ and you are justified standing in his presence, the response to that is a lifetime pursuing Jesus, pursuing his word, pursuing the righteous things he talks about in the gospel and in his message. Sanctification. See, you have to have both. You can't just have one. We need to know that our beliefs matter, but we need to know that people matter more. Guys, don't get in a fight to the point where an issue over doctrine causes somebody to feel feelings of hate or unworth or pain. It's not worth it. It's not what Jesus would have done. People matter more than what you believe. People matter more. We know that trust strengthens faith, guys, but we also have to understand that doubt strengthens faith. I know so many times I talk to my friends that aren't Christians and they ask me questions, and sometimes I say, you know, I'll be honest, I've, I've doubted God before, too. I've doubted why he did certain things. And they're like, whoa, you can't say that. And I'm like, well, you're not a Christian, you don't know. But, <laughs> but you can. And, uh, and in fact, there's a guy in the Bible named Thomas. And when Jesus comes back from the dead, he's standing before Thomas, and Thomas does not believe his eyes. He doesn't believe the work that God has done by raising Jesus back from the dead. And Jesus is okay with that. Do you know what he says to Thomas? He says, touch my wounds. Touch my wounds. See, Jesus and God, they want us to ask questions. They don't want to make us feel stupid or small. They want to reach down their hand and say, touch my wound. Let me show you. I want you to be so secure and know in your heart that I am real, that I am good, and I am who I say I am. So yes, doubt, have questions, and then I'll prove myself. That's what he does. Doubts are good. They're okay. <laughs> we know that God is good, so we need to remember that we should be good also. We should be good also. Uh, the thing that drives me crazy the most is an ingenuine person talking about a genuine God. Do you know those people? Uh, DC Talk actually have a quote, and this quote says this. It says, The single greatest cause of atheism in our world today is Christians who profess Jesus with their mouth and deny him with their actions. And deny him with their actions. I have a friend who goes to the University of Louisville. He's a really, really great guy, and he's an atheist. And I ask him all the time, you know, what is it that's holding you back? What is it that's got a grip on you that's not allowing you to believe in something that's so great, that's so wonderful, that's so life-changing? You know what he told me? He said, because... While you talk about how good God is, his people aren't. <laughs> and you know, 
I know that we aren't good. We're inherently bad, actually. We were born into sin. But that doesn't mean we have to be hateful. That doesn't mean that we have to be bitter or arrogant or prideful or unkind. See, I think we all need to work and strive to be good, to be more like God. Because in order for people to believe in God, they need to see him. And sometimes the only way that he can see him is through our actions, our lives, our intentions, and the things that we're doing for other people. We need to know that, yes, while God has an ideal, you know, we talk about marriage, God uses broken people. Maybe you've gone through something really hard in your life. You've gone through a divorce. Uh, Maybe you lived a life that was filled with alcohol and drugs and just brokenness. Or maybe you felt so unworthy that you were a person who harmed yourself because you just felt so empty and numb that you just wanted to feel something. And now you just feel so messed up that God can never use you. Well, I want you to know that you need to read your Bible because your Bible is filled with stories of broken people that God decided he was going to use. You see, this phrase is something that a lot of people probably know. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And the called are you and me. You see, God will constantly qualify you for whatever mission he has at your hand, for whatever purpose he has for you. He wants to use you. All he needs is your heart. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. All it takes is surrender. And in that moment of surrender, you are filled with a strength and a hope and a purpose of a holy father. God uses broken people. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. The next truth is we should enjoy church. And don't quote me on this before I explain myself, but we should enjoy the world. Um, And when I say this, I don't mean... We should enjoy drinking and getting high. I don't want anybody to say, oh, Blake said we should enjoy the world, so let's go get high, 420, woo! No, that's not, that's not what I'm saying um, at all. But what I'm saying is, I feel like so many Christians live in this fishbowl. Um, they feel like if it's not a church-sanctioned function, or if it's not in this particular building, that it's not okay. Um, people who feel like they can't enjoy the things that life has to offer, um, God wants us to go to the park and ride our bikes and play with our dogs and eat ice cream. I mean, all these little things that I feel like sometimes don't have any, like we try to, if, it's either one extreme or the other. You know, we either put so much worth in the things of the world or we put so much worth in church. You see, there's a middle ground. We're supposed to enjoy church and the things of church, but we're also supposed to enjoy the things of this world. A fresh day. You know, spending time with your dog. Little things like that. Because if we're truly living a biblically sound lifestyle, every single thing that we do, whether we eat or drink, so you can be eating a bowl of Cheerios, we're supposed to be doing it to the glory of God. And that used to really mess me up. Because I would be like eating a bowl of Cheerios, like in my head thinking, is this to the glory of God? How should I do this? Like, should my eyes be closed? You know, like, what does that look like? (laughs) And I think honestly what it boils down to is where's your heart in the day? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is your heart and mind and soul focused and centered on God? Or is it centered on yourself? Is it centered on an issue or a circumstance or a person? So I challenge you every morning to say, God, show me the things you want me to enjoy today in the world. And put my heart in the right place so that I know for a fact I don't have to doubt that what I'm doing is for your glory. 
The next thing is, yes, the Bible is 100% true. This is another one I don't want you to quote me on just yet. But everything true about life isn't in the Bible. Let me explain that. There are big issues in our culture today. But I don't see in the Bible anywhere where it references where Jesus says, Thou shalt not be addicted to Facebook. Um, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it specifically, where God specifically speaks to homosexuality. One of the biggest things that's like a hot topic in churches today. I mean, we have all of these things that are very specific, that are cultural issues, that aren't like straight out in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that they're not there. Because we have to remember the backside of this block, that the Bible is 100% true. Uh, so what we have to believe is that God gives us people. God gives us people who can discern the scripture, discern the truth, and apply it to our culture. Okay, so just because you can't personally find it in the Bible does not mean that it's not there. Um, and it doesn't mean that it's not true what you've been hearing uh, that God calls for. Somebody has been equipped and enabled to, to look at scripture and apply it to our culture, to our generation, and to our issues and our problems. And the last one, you can know God. But we also have to believe that God is a mystery. I don't know about you guys, but <clears throat> if I knew every single thing about God, if I could understand God, I wouldn't believe in God. I know that sounds like a bold statement, but if I could understand him completely, then I wouldn't think he was smarter than me. I wouldn't think that he was mightier than me. And when I would run into an issue that I didn't know how to solve or I didn't know how to face, and I felt so broken and didn't know where to look, I wouldn't look to a God who knew just as much as me. You see, we have to believe that God is a mystery, that we can't understand all parts of him, and that's part of his power. That's part of his beauty. God will always surprise you. God always is up to something, and typically it's not what you're expecting at all. There's an illustration I want to do, and for that, I need a volunteer. So anybody want to volunteer? Just pop up your hand real quick. If not, okay. Tyler, come on up. All right, I need you to pick a number, Tyler, between one and two. It's a really difficult decision. All right, he picked one. So what that means is you get to wad this rubber band up as tight as you can and throw it at my chest as hard as you can. All right, you ready? Oh, wow, that was really weak. All right, everybody give Tyler a clap for that weak throw. Okay, so since you picked one, you gave me two. So one was wad this up and throw it at me. Two is I get to stretch this out and snap you in the chest with it. So come here. Claps for Tyler for being a trooper for that. You can sit down. Here, you can have the rubber band too. No problem. I did that for two reasons. <clears throat> the first reason is Tyler's dating my sister. Um, so I'm allowed to do that. The second reason is I hope that illustrates that sometimes when we believe just one side of these boxes, you know, the blue side or the pink side, just one, we're wadding up a rubber band and we're trying to throw it at people, and it doesn't do much. I mean, I barely felt it. And that's not just because he's a sissy. It just doesn't have an impact. But when I stretched that rubber band out, when there was tension, that balance between the blue side of this box and the pink side of this box, it had an impact. It had a force. And so guys, that's something that we all need to strive to focus on, to pursue, is to live our lives in that tension. And it's this question of how to be in the world, but not of it. You know, I think of this illustration. Boats are designed 
to go into the water. And so they're not being used properly if they're sitting up on grass, or if when you put them in water, they're filled with water. They sink. You know, we're like that too. We're designed to go out into the water, into the world. And so if we're just sitting in the pews, all we're doing is becoming fat and then complaining about our weight problem being fed scripture after scripture after scripture, but not wanting to get up and exercise our faith and leave this building. If the boat is being filled with water, if we're allowing ourselves to be filled with the things of this world, then we're going to sink. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to take that boat and get into the water. That's the tension. That's the in the world, but not of it. Um, Chris and I were talking about this, um, this sermon and he was just sharing from his heart a little bit of his experience. And he was telling me, you know, I went to Bible college and he was saying all of these guys were these uh, pleated khaki polo wearing guys who after graduation wanted to get these jobs at these mega churches. And uh, they, they thought that they looked the part, but they were trying to fill this role, this um, mold that just wasn't them because that was church. That was Christianity, looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, acting a certain way, living on the blue side of these boxes. Okay? Not allowing these pink sides of the box to even come into their mind. And he said, you know what? I just felt burdened after, after college to work in the world. So he got a job at Starbucks where he was surrounded by real people. See, that's what God has called each and every one of us to do. To be in the world around real people doing what real people do. Talking about real people things. But the, the part that's different is the inside of you. It's not what you're doing or the outside of you. It's what's in your heart that's different. And eventually those people are going to notice that because you're in those places. If you guys just constantly, uh, I think of this illustration, when you go fishing, where do you go? Lakes, ponds, ocean, swamp. And so many times Christians want to go to the Newport Aquarium to go fishing. They're casting their reels for fish that have already been caught. They're comfortable living in these worlds that, that are safe, that are, that are clean, because if you go out to a pond or a swamp or a lake, you might get a little dirty. You're not going to be wearing your pleated khakis or your polo. Sometimes we have to do that in our lives, guys. We have to realize that God has placed us in a specific spot for a specific reason. And we need to live in the world where he's placed us, but not of it. We need to be seeking that sanctification that we talked about. Seeking Jesus' face, seeking who he is, and eventually the opportunity will present itself for you to say, let me tell you what's different, because they're going to ask, what's different about you? You know, you look like us, you, you do what we do. You know, you work, you got a job, you got a family, you have a dog. But there's something different about you. Your spirit, I don't know what it is, I can't put my finger on it. And that's when secretly on the inside you go, yes. Because it's your opportunity to say, let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about what I believe. Let me tell you about a God who loves you. He loves me and who saved me. See, guys, the thing that we have to do as Christians when we're, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're talking in these real-life world situations is this. We have to allow doubt. We have to allow questions. Because if we never allow people to work through their doubts, they'll never own their faith. They'll never own their own faith. You can tell them all day long, but it's like that mom-and-pop religion. I believe this because someone told me to. Guys, that's not what Jesus wants for us. He doesn't want you to believe something because somebody said this is right. He wants you to believe it because God changed your heart. And you know it's right beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so tonight as Chris comes back up with the band, I want us to think of this idea 
of living in the tension, of what that looks like um, real life in our worlds. I think for, for me, it's, it's making a point to not become a schmuck. <laughs> you know, one of those guys who, who looks the part and who goes to Bible study and has nice gelled hair. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to become that kind of person because when I think about those guys who lived on this blue side of the box, you know who I think of? I don't think of Jesus. I think of the Pharisees, people who looked religious, who wore the right clothes, who said the right things and stayed away from the evils of the world. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus hung out with adulterers, with tax collectors, with the dirtiest, lowest, biggest scumbags on the planet. That's who Jesus rolled with. And I promise you that his robe didn't stay all pearly white. He wasn't afraid to get a little dirty. Guys, we need to remember no matter where we are, no matter where you are specifically, we need to live in the tension of the blue side of this box where we believe true things, true core values that we hold on to. But we also know that sometimes the world is going to say different, and that's okay because God allows it. Because God is bigger than the blue side of this box. He's bigger than that. He can handle our doubts. He's got broad shoulders. He wants us to work through these things. So when you leave this place, I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you remember that, that God is with you and he goes before you preparing a way. And I hope that you will hold on to these core truths. You know, the first Catalyst video that we watched, it said this phrase and I love it. It gave the definition of catalyst, a spark, something that ignites us, something that can fuel the fire, something that precipitates an event or action or person or thing. But then at the very end it says, we are catalyst. Guys, at the very beginning of this message I said, I want to tell you about Thrive and who we are. And tonight I want you guys to hold on and grasp this, that we are Thrive. That church is not this, this data building or the Baptist name on the door but you and me, we are Thrive. And it's not about the tradition or the things in this church, but it's about these core truths. That's what makes up the church. We need to get better at bringing the church to people. No matter what they look like, who they are. Would you close your eyes? Right now in this moment, with your eyes closed, would you think about one person, one person who you know in your world, and I know that there has to be at least one person in your world who is not a Christian, somebody that you run into every single day, and if you don't have that person by chance, right now in this moment, I want you to pray that God will show you that person, because I promise you they're there. And with that person in your head, I want you to do something. I want you right now to pray for that person because prayer is powerful. And I want you to pray that God would change your heart, that he would allow you to live in the tension, to go into whatever place you need to go into, to get a little dirty and to preach the gospel, to show him what Jesus looks like, to go into the world but not be of it. 
you do that right now? And maybe if you're in this room, you're not praying for anyone because you yourself are that lost person. You yourself are that person who's never bought into Christianity or this God thing. If that's you in this moment right now, would you just know that God wants your heart? Scripture says that God is jealous for us, for me, for you. God is jealous for you. What that means is he doesn't like when you feel worthless and broken. You're his daughter. You're his son. He made you in his image. He doesn't like it when you hurt. He hurts. The shortest scripture in all the Bible is Jesus wept. And Jesus cried because his friend Lazarus had died. But you know what? The story did not end there. Because Jesus said, you know what, Lazarus? Your story won't end in death. And he raised him from the dead. See, guys, this God that we're talking about tonight is not just a God who makes bad people good. He's a God who makes dead people come to life. So I don't care where you've been or what you've done or who you've hurt or how hurt you've been by people or by the church or by anything. That is not God. God is saying, I want you tonight. You might feel so dead and so broken and so hurt and so lonely on the inside, but guess what? I want to raise you to life. I want to fill you with purpose and with power and with peace. Would you just come to me tonight? Would you just come to me tonight? That's what he's saying to you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, would you just pop your hand up? I want to pray for you tonight. Don't worry about other people or being embarrassed. That's you, just pop your hand up. All I want to do is pray for you. Guys, we serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. Dear Lord, thank you for this night. I thank you for every person in this room. Thank you for your words and your truth. I thank you that you're not just a God who's reigning in heaven, who wants us to, to be these toy soldiers, but you allow us to have emotion and feeling and doubt and work through things. You allow us to own our faith, to know you on a personal, relational level. God, I just ask you that you would break me. Every single time I, I would think I was holy or good, remind me that I'm not. God, I just ask that you would convict our hearts, that you would move us. I know that you're in the room, and I know that some people in here have such a purpose, that you have such a plan for their life, and tonight, God, I just ask that you shove them out of the doors of this church, that they can't help but be moved by your love and by your grace and by your spirit and who you are. God, allow this, allow right now this moment to be a catalyst for us to go out into a hurt, broken, dying world. To preach to dying men like dying people because that's what it is. Life is but a vapor, it's so short. Would you put this urgency on our heart to reach lost souls? To stop fishing in the aquarium, to stop swimming around the fishbowl and to actually break down walls. Break down these ideas that church is about tradition and rules and regulations and it's so legalistic when you're up in heaven saying no. It's about Jesus. It's about me. It's about relationship. 
It's about love and grace. Things so much bigger and more powerful than laws and rules. God, would you just burden our hearts for people and push us to preach your truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, as Chris plays through this song, there's a few ways you can respond. Um, we have the offering buckets, and you can give back to what God's already given you. We have the communion set. And if you don't know what communion is, it represents Jesus' body and his blood. The blood that was poured out for you and for me. The blood that's talked about in Acts 3 that blots out our sin. The blood that carries power. And the body, broken. Scripture says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. God did that for you and for me. He's that personal of a God. The most amazing thing is that the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. In the most jacked up, broken, horrific, horrible place you've ever been. Imagine that. Imagine that. God loved you then, enough to die for you. That's love. Would you remember that tonight? And the last way that you can respond is this altar is open. I know it feels uncomfortable and goofy for some people, um, but I just want to encourage you to try it if you've never done it. Uh, the altar is a place where you can just humble yourself and fall on your face and say, you know what, God, I need you. It might not be uh, something big even, something small that's just been burdening your heart, that's been eating you up. Give it to God. Come up to this altar and just lay it at the foot of the cross. Pray for that person. Come to the altar and pray for that person. I challenge you to do that. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, he wants you tonight. Don't wait. Life is so short. Don't question where you might go if you died tonight. You don't have to. You don't have to. So come up. Pray. Let me pray for you, with you. Whatever it is, just respond. Don't allow anything to hold you back tonight. Don't allow the blue side of the box, the traditions, the things that you think you're not supposed to do in church, your pride, your ego, I don't know what it is, but don't let anything hold you back from responding the way that God is tugging at your heart tonight. Would you stand and sing?